So welcome everyone and thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us this month. Uh, this platform, the Black Lives, Black Lives Matter and its implications for Australian context was created and is organised by Reverend Tao Lofa and Reverend Dr Catalina as an opportunity to explore in more depth the impact of social and structural injustices on Black lives in these lands which are now called Australia. This webinar is a series of discussions held on the last Sunday of each month and has been running for over a year. We encourage all attendees to participate in the conversation by sharing your comments and questions via Facebook or Zoom, depending on where you're joining us from. And today we focus our webinar conversation on Indigenous theologies, highlighting Indigenous perspectives on theology and practice. And we are grateful to have Naomi Wolf leading our conversation this afternoon. So Naomi, I'd like to invite you now to open our session with an acknowledgement of land and a prayer. Thank you. Thanks, Emma. Thanks very much. Um, I'm mindful that we're gathered on very different lands as we gather through this wonderful opportunity of Zoom. I know throughout 2020 and 2021, we're perhaps a bit Zoomed out, but it does enable us to, to come together in some form of community. So we take a small blessing out of that. Um, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of where I'm living and, and I ask you in your heads to remember who you are uh, gathered on whose land, uh, wherever you are, it's Indigenous land. Some of, some of us don't know and I invite you to and encourage you to find those details out, but I am joining you from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge the elders past, present and future of our traditional lands on which we gather. Acknowledge the peoples of the East. I acknowledge the peoples of the North and I acknowledge the peoples of the West and I acknowledge the peoples of the South. May we walk with traditional owners. May we listen to them. May we be guided by their wisdom wherever and whenever we are gathered. Thanks. Um, so I'd like to share with you a prayer that was developed for, uh, on behalf of the, the uh, Aboriginal Catholic community um, for the visit of Pope John Paul II many years ago in 1986. Mm. Um, so Father of all, you gave us the dreaming. You've spoken to us through our beliefs. You then made your love clear to us and others in the person of Jesus. We thank you for your care. You own us. You are our hope. Make us strong as we face the problems of change and we ask you to help the people of Australia to listen to us and to respect our cultures. Make the knowledge of you go strong in all the people so that you can be home in us and we can make a home for everyone in our land. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Naomi. Um, now the, I have the honour of introducing our panellists for this month. So we have, hello, Emma Jackson. Um, Emma <laughs> is a PhD student at Macquarie University in New South Wales, where she has been involved in on-campus chaplaincy with the United Church. Emma is passionate about social justice and has been involved in campaigns for climate justice and student advocacy. Um, as a young white woman, Emma um, is very clear that she works hard to know the responsibility Australia must take for its colonial history, and in particular, recognizing the role of the church in that history. Um, we also have the Reverend Alofa Ailangi. Lofa Wave. <laughs> Hello, Lofa. Lofa is an ordained deacon in the Uniting Church, currently serving as a tertiary chaplain at Charles Sturt University. As a theologian from Oceania, Lofa hopes to see more theolo theological work from those at the grassroots of Pacifica. She believes the church is accountable in creating space for truth telling and active listening, and sees this webinar as a response and collaboration for bringing faith justice and academia together. Thank you, Lofa. We also have Reverend Liam Miller. Uh, I don't see Liam on my screen, but I'm sure he's waving. 
Liam, uh, Liam is a Minister of the Word in the Uniting Church in Australia as well, currently serving in supply at the Forest Kirk Uniting Church. Liam is the host of the Love Rinse Repeat podcast, where he interviews theologians, ministers, artists and activists. He's a recent PhD candidate at Charles State University. Yeah. And for his MA degree, he studied the work of renowned African-American theologian James Conn. And I am the Reverend Dr. Catalina Taffe Williams, an Oceanian womanist theologian. I have served the World Church and the Ecumenical Movement as a leader in public and contextual theology, world mission and ecumenical missiology, interfaith relations, racial justice and multicultural ministry. Might as well put it up there. I hold degrees from the universities of New South Wales, London and Birmingham, UK, and am currently serving as social justice consultant for the Pilgrim Presbytery and minister at Nightcliffe United Church in Darwin, in the NT. Hello, everyone. And we are grateful to Naomi Wolf for giving us her valuable time in this important conversation and for her willingness to share her wisdom and insights. Naomi Wolf is the, uh, forgive me, Naomi, if I'm not pronouncing this well, is a Trollway. Can you say it, Naomi, for me? Please, no. Trollway. Trollway. Aboriginal woman with Jewish, German, and Irish heritage, who lives and works on Wurundjeri country. Did I say that okay? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, some say Wurundjeri, some say Wurundjeri. Oh, okay. yeah. Wurundjeri country. Yeah, either. Okay, thank you. Sorry about that, Naomi. Naomi is First Peoples Coordinator at the School of Indigenous Studies, University of Divinity in Melbourne, and the Academic Dean of NAIITS, which is an Indigenous learning community program dedicated to working together with Indigenous communities in the development and articulation of Indigenous perspectives on theology and practice. She also teaches Indigenous and ancient histories at the Australian Catholic University and was formerly the academic coordinator of the Jim Baya Indigenous Higher Education Unit at ACU. Thank you for making time to lead our conversation on Indigenous theologies, highlighting Indigenous perspectives on theology and practice, Naomi. The floor is now yours. Oh, wow. If people <laughs> are still awake after all of my uh, <laughs> stuff. As my dad would have said, it keeps me out of trouble and off the streets creating mischief. Although I, I hesitate to uh, say that given that what's happening in Melbourne at the moment, not that yeah. kind of mischief. <laughs> Um, thank you so much, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's contributions. So, um, I do have a PowerPoint. Is that um, okay to share? Would that be all right? I just uh, find it a good anchoring point. Um, so, I hope. but if not, that's fine. We can uh, we can actually let's progress without it. It should be. It should be all right now. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm glad you're technologically savvy, Liam. Well, it, well, oh, it did work. I was about to say, let's not make promises yet. But <laughs> we came yes. through. Um, just um, so um, yes, I I live on Wurundjeri country now in Melbourne, and I I have uh, a, a number of sort of work and personal allegiances where um, you know I'm involved with the new School of Indigenous Studies along with the Reverend Dr Gary Deverell who many of you know um, at the University of Divinity and it's exciting space where Gary and I are assisting the Vice-Chancellor and the communities uh, to set up a, a new way of looking at Indigenous theologies for the University of Divinity and its member colleges. And I work across at Australian Catholic University uh, where I, I have great pleasure in most of the time, uh, although on Zoom it's getting a little wearing for students as well as for me, teaching Indigenous studies as well as ancient history. And one of the other uh, organisations that I'm connected to is NATE's, an Indigenous learning community, which is a community of Indigenous and non-Indigenous theologians um, who seek to follow being Jesus as uh, who we are created. So if we are Aboriginal and Christian, then that's who we are. Um, and so Nate's 
originated in North America, but it is a truly global organisation now because what we found was that God has given vision to many of our peoples across the world to find ways of being truly who God has created us to be as well as Christian. And so now the community has grown to have programs and representatives in Canada, the United States, Bolivia, New New Zealand um, and Australia and continues to grow. And what we hope to do is to not only equip Indigenous peoples to make that journey either as, as practitioners within the church or as academics, to make that journey to be bicultural in the sense of knowing Western Christianity and our own Christianity and bringing them together, but also help the wider church to understand a different way of experiencing Indigenous theologies, a different way of seeing God through our eyes throughout the world. And so it's challenging but really exciting space. The pictures that you can see on the screen, that's my dad and me, uh, a bit of my nan and and my my younger brother. And for me, I like, and and also parts of our traditional country, Um, for me it's important to remember that, you know, um, when we're talking about a theological journey, it's not just my theological journey, it's the journey of my family and community And so I want to be mindful of that. Having said that, if I make any mistakes, I'll own them myself. Um, What I think it's interesting, and and maybe these will be good questions, and I might put them in the chat for the panellists and for others, but I think sometimes we might need some questions to start off. How do we respond to so, so many big things around Um, inclusion and recognising that previously none of this was really talked about, none of this was possible. And I want to acknowledge that there there have been for many years elders, um, particular, you know, um, Uncle um, Graham and Aunty Iris Poulsen, Uncle Ray and Aunty Sharon Minicon and others, Aunty Jean Phillips, so many of our elders, some who are still with us, uh, faithful servants of Jesus who have carried this vision. And then there are others who are coming through, like, you know, Gary, myself, only Janet Turby-Johnson, only Patricia Courtney, only Denise Champion, Brooke Prentice, um, and so many others that we want to create space. But how do we do that? So there's a couple of big questions here. How might we experience within the church and within, you know, theological education in, in particular, how might we um, experience ways in which Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and indeed other world Indigenous peoples see God? What's the relationship between God, the people, place that perhaps hasn't been experienced before? What What do Western models of theology leave out? And perhaps there's a way that we can um, seek to create space for that to happen. And also, I think there is often a cultural amnesia in the Western models of theology where people forget where they've come from. They, They don't have cultural anchors to tie them into remembering all of the depth of their theology. And so perhaps part of the idea of decolonising the church, specifically here in Australia, might be to re-energise the whole church. So perhaps one of the benefits of broadening the inclusion and hearing the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and other Indigenous peoples, perhaps one of the benefits, while it's not the focus, but the benefits might be that there is a re-energised vision within the wider church to remember and reclaim some of their own cultural traditions so that when a non-Indigenous person is talking about 
their Christianity, they're really informed about what it is that they mean by that, what it is about their own personal story and I guess the wider personal story. Owning some of that history, that shared history that we have in these lands, recognising that while the creator was always in these lands, remember if God is the Alpha and the Omega, then he was definitely here in Australia, but that the church came across with a particular colonial um, emphasis. So how can we decolonise church? so that all cultures are included and that we can start to really experience um, different ideas and different ways of seeing God. And I guess what I'm suggesting is that we we use the, the metaphors of bridges and canoes, and, and some of that might resonate with many different traditions. But bridges are perhaps more permanent structures that allow us to make really sort of um, really um, sustainable connections between traditions and between ideas and theologies. And then perhaps at other times we have canoes that allow us a bit more flexibility, particularly if we're invited into space that is not an invitation for everybody at every stage for all time. So some of the challenges around this is how do we actually make this happen? How do we get people on board? Uh, how do we make space to do things differently? Um, and in particular, how do we, how do we um, not only make the space, but how do we make that sustainable and long-term? Because there are many opportunities for short-term engagement with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but there's very few long-term um, patterns of engagement. So how do we stop it from being something that's exotic or once a year and something that is sustainable and life-affirming for all of us? Um, so they're the big questions that, you know, I'm posing to the panellists for us to have some discussion together and to see where the spirit leads us and to see as a community where we might, um, you know, ha have some ideas of how we can engage with each other and perhaps think about what it might mean for us as Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people uh, as, as, we, as we journey through this land together and as we work in communities and as we work in churches and we work in you know, organisations, including our theological institutions. So I'm going to stop the share there and really open it to asking our panellists for their responses. What I might do is put up those questions into the chat box because I realise I gave big questions with not much notice. So everyone should uh, be able to see that. So there will be an exam in about 10 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Liam, is that a look of horror? <laughs> Gosh, my heart. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so, um, yes, some big questions. I thought we would start with, you know, the big questions, the easy, easy ones. <laughs> journey onto the harder ones doing you know musing is always the easy bit isn't it um getting the actual action on the ground might be a bit harder for another day but yeah so shall we shall we start with you Liam sure um I think this is probably touching a bit on the, the, the second two questions a bit um and, and just one of the things I was thinking about you know we were talking about the de decolonizing and moving that space and learning. And I was thinking about how we're, we're getting close-ish to Advent, like Advent's just around the corner for those who kind of follow a liturgical calendar, which I imagine is a decent amount who are listening. And um, like it's been observed for a while now that Advent really leans on, on language of light and dark um, and, and the light, you know, the goodness of light penetrating the, the evil of, of darkness. 
which is obviously very problematic in a modernized racial landscape, right? And people have pointed that out. And, but I think it's also thinking that like, you know, so much of the way we talk about Advent is still so shaped by like North, Northern Hemisphere conceptions of like, oh, the days start getting shorter. And so mm-hmm. like this concept of yearning for starlight and light to beam in um, it, it makes sense there, right? But it's so different here, how we how we think about that. And I think that's one of those places where we do need to be listening. And it goes hand in hand with like, you know, learning one of those things you learn as an adult, which you're like, obviously um, should have learned much earlier is like, oh, the seasons themselves are a colonial construct, right? Like summer, autumn, winter, spring doesn't make sense across, across this, you know, this continent. Um, and so thinking about how learning that, learning how season and time and the rhythm of a year um, is understood in these, on these lands and has been and is, um, might coincide with thinking about how we also then reshape our language around, you know, these liturgical seasons, particularly, I think, like a season like Advent, um, and how do we think differently about that? And how does that expand? We're doing that. We actually end up becoming a much more authentic expression of finding much more um, grounded, localized imagery um, to draw on. Like something I've tried a few times is, is to use like, you know, to use kind of darkness in a more positive. What's the thing we really long for in summer is shade, right? So Christ providing the cool shade in which to find mm-hmm. some relief in the heat of summer is, you know, this, the, the darkness of the shade being, you know, this thing that is, you know, an oasis for a parched people kind of thing. And like that, that can tie very much into, but that's something that like, you know, before thinking about this, for encountering the work of Indigenous Christians, Indigenous thinkers broadly, like wouldn't have been on my radar and you just slip into it. Um, and so I think that's one of trying to open that space up. And I'd be curious to think of any experience you've, you've had, Naomi, on this or work you've done. But I think that was something that was coming to mind, particularly as I'm kind of starting to, you know, because we're in October, we're almost in October, which means Christmas is basically here, which means Advent. <laughs> like it's all starting mm-hmm. to kind of push in on me. So that that was probably what came yeah. to mind first for me. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think um, you know when we when we talk about decolonizing the church and our practices, often that can seem like a big thing. Mm. But I think practical things that make sense to to ev- all of us and, and what you've just outlined is very practical yeah it doesn't make sense to be thinking of how winter is closing in particularly when you're sweltering through a you know 42 degrees in melbourne or something yeah. and, and there is an irony like sitting in a church more when we could gather in churches you know singing hymns about snow and and how cold it is when you're kind of going <laughs> if it was cold could they send yeah. us snow you know <laughs> um Oh, I like your idea of subverting that and really sort of saying, okay, well, if we're going to talk about darkness, let's actually talk about something that's practical. Mm. Let's talk about what we what we do, what we are looking for, what we are longing for and needing in that space. It, it's not kind of, you know, putting chestnuts on an open fire. It's kind of finding a big tree that we can all sit under and go, oh, that heat, eh? <laughs> you know um and if it's you know if you're a person like me it's anything past kind of 25 and I kind of go um, so I think you know we can sort of see decolonization as this huge thing but actually you can start with small things which are actually really meaningful to to everyone and and doesn't necessarily have to um, start with a kind of deficit model. It can start with a, you know, well, hey, look, mm. this is actually what we're experiencing. How might Advent look for us that's slightly different than the Northern Hemisphere? Mm. Mm. Um, you know, how might it become more real, more tangible, more sustainable for us if we start thinking about what is Advent like for Australians and, and others in the Southern Hemisphere when it's not cold? <laughs> Thanks. Um, who am I going? Oh, everyone's just moved on the screen. That's funny. Um, Talofa, your thoughts about what we're sort of discussing? Thanks, Naomi. Um, 
I guess for me, uh, what's been really interesting is um, the language uh, we use in the church, the theological language that we use. Um, No, um, I was reading the Rainbow uh, Spirit Theology uh, a few weeks ago and looking at, you know, when will we as the church start referring to God as creator spirit, um, rainbow spirit, rather than the the normal, the language that we're so used to. And I I feel like that's part of the change that we could bring about decolonizing. Um, I guess um, listening to a lot of the theology and the understanding of indigenous people, of God, before the missionaries had come along. Um, I, um, you know, in, in the Pacific, we, we had these gods, Tangaloa and all of that. And I also wondered, you know, what would be the difference if we start using that language when we f- refer to God? Um, I also thought about Liam's idea, but he stole that from me. Um, <laughs> but um yeah like thinking about darkness and all the the racial implications it has the darkness and um and light as well so yeah um, yeah yeah I, I i actually think you're onto something in terms of the the names for god because i mean we ha- we have precedents in the hebrew scriptures where god is known by different names um, so what we could do is, is start educating people and saying, well, you know, this, this isn't some newfangled idea. <laughs> we, we've been doing this, you know, previously communities have known God by different names. And, in fact, you know, our, um, our brothers and sisters in other religions also too would have different names. And so uh, this is something humans do. So why not recover? I mean, and that's the thing we need to 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 let people know is this is not new. This is just a recovery. This, we we've always had known known names for creators, and and this is something that we need to recover. Not not necessarily we're saying, hey, we've decided we don't like calling God God, so we're going to give him a new name or her a new name or they a new name. Um, we're recovering. This is what our people have always known the Creator as, and I think that might empower a lot of people to 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 feel more welcomed in the church. It's often seen as being radical um, when you bring yeah. in new language, but yeah, for you to say it's always been there, uh, it's just a part of reclaiming and recovering um, what has always been there. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's an elder back home. He used to say, "No, nobody asked us what we called God, and nobody asked us what we thought about things. Nobody asked us what we thought about welcoming people and <laughs> whether we wanted you to stay or didn't want you to stay. If you'd asked us, we would have told you. <laughs> but because you didn't bother to ask us, we didn't tell you." You know, we've always known this stuff. So I think, yeah, re, re, reorientating people's thinking to, to realise that this isn't actually that radical. Yeah. So. I wonder yeah. as well the, um, the further implications around rethinking the kinds of language we use to talk about God in terms of uh, the, the imagery and the perception of what, god is and what god brings um because i know that yeah there's the the general perception of you know a big dude with a beard in the sky with a crown and a scepter kind of business and actually uh relabeling and rethinking and reimagining the words that we use will allow more space to think about god for yeah i'm thinking particularly for children as well like the the, the imagery that we often have of God that we give to children and then therefore a lot of the perceptions around what God is for people outside of the church is, yeah, but like a person and God really seeing God as a person, whereas there's so much more outside of that which could 
be imagined and could be um, taught and thought about if we start to yeah rethink the kind of words that we use. And I, mm, that's yeah what I was thinking when we're talking about all the language stuff. It's not just about the language that we're we're using to talk about God, but what the knock-on effect there and the yeah the the wide and more imaginative ways that we can start to think about what God is. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think that's true because often um, there is that stereotypical view of God as particularly an old crusty white man on a throne on a cloud, etc. And uh, you know, I don't think that's particularly helpful um, for for many people, if not anyone. Um, and I think you know we have to remind people that you know when indigenous mob when we're talking about god appearing to us in in different forms that's not new either i know people see that as radical but you know you only have to go back to the text to see how god uh makes god's presence known to to people whether they're ready for that or not is another matter but you know there are different ways that God appears and, and that you can have a relationship with the creator. And I think that might be another way of re-educating people to make them receptive to, hey, this isn't new, this isn't some kind of wacky idea that, you know, people have just dreamt up. This is, again, something that God has always been doing throughout all of God's people's now, you may not know that this was happening in the other parts of the world, but just because you don't know it doesn't mean it's not happening. Um, so I think, yeah, language and the perception of humanity and, and how we, we use those perceptions is really important. Um, so what do you think the greatest challenges are in this space? Uh, Catalina, you're still on mute. Can you hear me now? Yep. <laughs> the catch cry of Zoom, isn't it? Can you hear me? <laughs> I know. Um... <laughs> you're still on mute. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the challenge is all around. It's, you know, and we can never um, underestimate the challenge that uh, we'll be facing if this is to be introduced into mainline theological institutions and, you know, as a form of decolonizing. Um, uh, you know, when, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about how um, some of my uh, Maori friends, Christians have, and theologians have uh, already begun in New Zealand, from my understanding, to introduce um, Maori um, creation stories, you know, so um, I, I, I saw a glimpse of it, so I, I can't, you know, pretend to know a lot about it, but I know that it's it's like a, a, um, a telling of the creation story from Maori perspectives and Maori um, culture and, um, and stories. So, and, 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 and I, I wonder if that is, if that is also something that um, you know, indigenous theologies can introduce to as a part of de the decolonizing process, you know, um, and 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 part of the um, important learnings or, or decolonizing points for Western theologies and Western mindsets is is to do with a whole different understanding of the of God's creation and the interrelated nature of God's creation. Um, you know, as you know, Naomi, you know, which is very much to do with um, relationship to land and, you know, and and Mother Earth and all that is around it. And when I, I remember seeing what was done in New Zealand, you know, all of that is very visible and strongly present um, in the creation field, uh, story, you know, that they um, have introduced. Um, in the church there, um, you know, so I wonder, uh, you know, because when I think about Judeo-Christian, you know, understanding of creation, I think that there are themes there of 
interrelatedness and interconnections. So as you say, it's not a, you know, uh, introducing of something new, it's recovering and, you know, reclaiming maybe, you know. Um, so I, I think that that's, that it, it all, all of this will be challenging because, you know, I'm just thinking about the Uniting Church and my mind is still preoccupied with the whole preamble conversation from last month, you know, which we're going to do again next month. But, um, you know, some of those issues around that, you know, it'll be challenging, but this could be something that we could look at as achievable, uh, you know, of how to decolonize theological thinking, theological education um, in a Western context like Australia. Uh, and I don't know that it's, you know, the challenging issue would be more just breaking through mindsets, you know, um, but I think it's doable and it shouldn't be taking that long it's so overdue <laughs> it should have been happening yesterday <laughs> you know and then the other issue that occurs to me um you know is that you know western theology will have to readjust its thinking to issues like justice when it comes to doing theology um, and accepting that when it comes to indigenous people it and indigenous theologies it's, it will have to be a kind of theology of resistance as, you know, as, as part of the core of what the, that theology will be like, you know, resistance and, and challenge and, you know, um, yeah. That, that's, that's my thinking of some of the challenges, but I don't think that those challenges should be in the way. We should, you know, push ahead somehow. Mm. Mm, yeah, I, I agree with the. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you say. Um, yes, it shouldn't take. It shouldn't be this hard. But yeah, I, I think you're right. It is about changing mindsets. Yeah, Liam, um, can I, Liam can I, yeah. I just wanted to ask you something based a bit on what Catalina was saying and thinking through then a bit about what you're working on now with with Gary at at, at, at Union Divinity. So like. Like I was thinking about the way we kind of, you know, often your intro, not every place does this, but your introductory to theology course, like your 101 in your first year of uni is generally like, okay, we've got to start at the patristics, medieval, <laughs> reformation, 20th century, blah, blah, you know, and then maybe you get a week or two on like contextual theologies, feminist theologies in the last bit. And then if you're going to spend, you know, any kind of prolonged time on, you know, indigenous theology or, or, or even just let's say more broadly, you know, non-western theology it's it's like going to be in a later class which is and often going to be framed as an elective yes. which seems one second show which is like you know a very problematic way to frame it you know we're doing theology here that say that this is an elective um so i was thinking about the way that you know with this as you know as catalina's been pointing out we're thinking about how we reframe language about god how we interpret scripture how we tell these stories and also how we introduce theology and you know, disrupting of where we need to start and what story we need to tell for to, to feel that we have properly introduced people to the students to the art of Christian theology. And so I was curious what you're thinking there as how to kind of counter that. I'm going to go on mute. <laughs> I don't mind. My nephew may pop in as well. So <laughs> it's the challenges of, <laughs> of the uh, Zoom environment, isn't it? But it's it's good, I think, also to have our kids and the animals around. So, yeah, um, I think there's a couple of ways you can approach that sort of stuff in formal theological education, and that is to have both discrete units and embedded content and not just, yeah, you're right, it, it for the most part, it is an elective or it's sort of given over a couple of weeks or something, and it's never, in in my experience, it's not always done well, um, and that's because uh, theological colleges don't haven't haven't had the haven't had Indigenous people on staff. That's right, um, exactly. which is important. Yep. And haven't had um, uh, they haven't upskilled their non-indigenous staff, uh, so they don't know what to include and how. And there's a lot of anxiety around it as well. 
oh, I might make a mistake, I might say something wrong, what resources should I use? Or, or sometimes you have people who are so enthusiastic in what they're doing, uh, but they, they present some stuff that is so, so wrong um, and, and challenging to local communities that you kind of, you think, I love the enthusiasm, but your enthusiasm is taking you down a really <laughs> problematic path. So you kind of got, you know, you, you want a middle ground. So ideally it would be great to see more Indigenous people employed, uh, you know, uh, to do this work and more, more non-Indigenous people taking it upon themselves to, to do some educating and, and, and to work you know, collaboratively with with people like my, myself and Gary, who are, yeah. and others. You know, Annie Denise Champion, who's in over in Adelaide. Um, but we're thin on the ground, mm. and 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 that's the challenge. Mm. Uh, so, but I think you know, having discrete units where we're looking at, you know, Indigenous concepts as well as Indigenous history, and perhaps you know, other units to deal with that shared history and colonisation, but then having it embedded across across the curriculum so it isn't exotica. It isn't, oh, this week we're doing the Aboriginals, next week we're, we're doing the homeless. It's always the, you know. Next week we're doing the women of the church, you know, and so on. If we get away from that approach, I think, you know, that would be helpful. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It is a real struggle because, um, you know, I, I feel as if as long as we are having to, existing in a context where there is a dominant culture, you know, yeah. everything outside of that will always be token, tokenized or, you know. Um, so to, to fight that, I mean, one, one of the things that I, I realised when we were doing, we just launched this book, um, you know, uh, Christianity in Oceania, um, Global Christianity, and one of the things that I wrote about in that um, in that book is, um, you know, uh, alert articulating the fact that in Australia and New Zealand, or maybe in Oceania as a whole, there's still a lot of looking to the north for theology. And here's your nephew. <clears throat> Hello, um, and <clears throat> and not <clears throat> like. It is so overdue that we need, you know, our own Australian theology, for example, you know. And, and that Australian theology has to be, um, you know, organically Indigenous and not, hi, bye, bye, nephew, um, you know. Maybe maybe this kind of conversation is, uh, and maybe and the work that you're doing with Gary, you know, um, at the University of Divinity, will finally lead to a um, a place where we can actually have what we can call officially publicly, you know, indigenous um, Australian theology. You, you yeah, know, I mean yes. that's that's the hope that we will we will you know um, be able to open more doors um, for for more of the mob to come in and study as well as contribute um, and, and assist colleges within the UD and and you know with the Nates community you know we have a worldwide program of how do we equip Indigenous people to work in 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 those multiple spaces. But also we've got a growing number of non-Indigenous people enrolling in courses and coming to our annual symposiums because they too are searching for something. And I think, um, you know, there, there is a great searching out in communities, especially at the moment with COVID-19 and earthquakes in Melbourne and all sorts mm. of things happening. <laughs> people are searching and I'm not sure that um, the church that we have at the moment is meeting everyone's needs. There's a lot of there's a lot of cultural amnesia in in the church, and I think if we can get back to remembering some of the stories and remembering our connectedness, that might actually make the church more welcoming to people who have felt 
so disenfranchised, so unwelcome for so long. Mm. And, and, and perhaps those generations of people that have had no church con connection at all because their grandparents felt so hurt and so abused. If we can get to a way that, you know, it, by making the church more inclusive for members of the community that aren't already included, it can only be of benefit to, to make the church then think, well, actually, who else haven't we welcomed? What else do we need to uh, focus on here so that we don't have, as you said, Catalina, that dominant kind of thing of and, and just a couple of bits of the other coming in? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that makes me remember something um, from in your initial spiel with the PowerPoint talking <laughs> about how um, the theology that you hold isn't just your theology, it's your parents, your grandparents, it's your ancestors, and how that's one way that we can, um, in the church, start to, yeah, think about decolonization is thinking about not just individual theology, but that kind of ancestral theology that we hold, um, and connecting it then through to this whole, like, changing the mindset of people is, yeah, there seems to be a real sense of, I think the, the term that academics like to use is presentism, so a real focus on like what, what's happening now mm -hmm. and the intersection that we have of that with like the kind of individualistic culture that we're currently in where you are only responsible for yourself and everything that you do is like uh, everything that is good that you do, it's just because of you, not because of anyone else. It's your, your success. And anything bad you do, well, that's just your fault. Like there's no capacity to think about like the intersections of ways that people can be marginalized and um, how difficult that then means it can be to live a good life. Um, yeah, so thinking about, yeah, that those ways that potentially yeah, reclaiming those histories can be really difficult for people who have like that history, that theological history is really colonial and has been a force to be um, excluding those um, uh, yeah, so, you know, talking about people who have um, become distant from the church because of ancestral trauma and why are not individuals in the church currently taking account of that trauma um, as part of their ancestral theology, like as part of the fact, like, that they are still there because their ancestors have been, you know, doing particular or like framing theology in a particular way and framing the church as being a particular thing. Yeah, and so I was just reflecting on that as you were talking right now, Naomi, um, about that um, capacity for becoming a more inclusive church, also involving potentially opening up and becoming and recognizing yeah, that um, historical context. Something, something. Yeah. Words. <laughs> All good, Emma. All good, Emma. Uh, Lofa, Titi, you look like you were. Okay, I've had a few technical issues, so oh, sorry. it's fine. Just continue okay. on. Um, okay. And Liliani? I'm not sure. Liliani? Oh. Liliani? Yeah, Liliani. <coughs> hi, hi, Naomi. I'm hi. just the behind-the-scenes tech. I wasn't sure, but feel free to add anything if you'd like to. Yeah, far more than, far more than just that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When everyone says I'm um, just behind the scenes, I think, oh, thank God you are because that means that you're running all the tech and making things happen and it's not my job to do that. It's not my skill set. I'll do it if I have to, but, gosh, it's stressful. So thank you. Um, so I noticed, uh, yeah, we've got constant kind of people coming in and out, but that not that the joy of life? So, yeah. <laughs> I'll just flag if anyone's watching and wants to ask a question. We've got a little time for that. You can drop it in the chat. Yeah. Even, even a half-formed question will be just fine. Yeah, absolutely, including kids. <laughs> any of our panellists, while we're waiting to see if somebody else has got a question, any of our panellists want to uh, raise a question for all of us or perhaps continue on with a theme or a muse that they might, amusing that they might have been having recently well i mean i i think i want want us to say some more about um you know how strategies 
strategies for um, you know changing theological education in theological institutions to include you know which is part of the whole decolonizing process that you talked about Naomi um, you know what what are the strategies and as I thought about it um, you know I, I think that all indigenous theologies around the globe have the common problem of finding their space in traditional European classical theological spaces, you know? Um, and even um, at a time when some of those theologies like in North America or like or even theology like liberation theology or womanist theology, you know, those you know, kinds of theologies have gained specific respect and, you know, and profile over the years. But I think they still struggle to find the space within those, you know, hallowed institutions. So, you know, um, yeah, so there's a lot of work to be done, but, you know, what, what are some um, useful strategies, Naomi, that you're seeing in the work that you're doing with Gary that could be helpful in, mm -hmm. you know, breaking the wall and breaking the ceiling in those institutions, like even within the United Church, for example, you know? Yeah. I, I think we need allies um, mm -hmm. and I think we need to reassure people that small things contribute. Often um, people get lost in the big picture stuff. They think, oh, if we can't do it all, we can't do any of it. And I think it just starts off with little things. Like, um, for example, the University of Divinity, Whitley College and Nate's International Learning Community have a memorandum of understanding. And at the moment, we are delivering postgraduate coursework programs and we have an Indigenous cohort-led PhD program. Now, that started off with little conversations. There have been um, elders and others for many years asking and pleading and <laughs> some of the elders would say begging, going cap in hand to, you know, theological institutions, seminaries, colleges, Bible colleges, you name it, and saying, look, we have one top and we have Nungalinga and they are great, but our people want more. And we want our people in those Bible colleges teaching. And we know in order for that to happen, our mob have got to get more pieces of your paper. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we know that, you know, that some of our mob want to be teaching and, and preparing our mob for ministry as well as just the kind of academic life. So how do we make that happen? Mm. And for years, you know, Uncle Ray Minicon and others, um, Uncle Terry LeBlanc, who's the International Program Director at Mi'kmaq Man from Canada, uh, have been knocking on the doors of institutions, religious and secular, saying, you know, we have this vision, here's what we want to achieve, and will you work with us? And sometimes getting nowhere, sometimes getting told what they were proposing was bad, etc. And sometimes getting to the point where it looked like we might get a, a program, a memorandum of understanding for it to dissipate. And so when the conversation started to happen at Whitley College and then with the wider University of Divinity, there was kind of a, a fear, an excitement. It was a very odd space. It was a feeling that we were entering into something that was kind of like Christmas, but kind of like on a roller coaster. It was kind of, we don't know what's happening here. But, you know, five years on, we've had Indigenous and non-Indigenous graduates from, the, you know, the coursework program through certificate and diploma, and we're about to have our first Indigenous graduate from the Masters of Theological Studies and, and we're hoping we will have more Australian Indigenous people enrolled in the PhD program next year. Um, 
So it just starts with small conversations and then bringing other people in and saying, what if? Now, it's a lot of work, but um, my dad would say, you know, anything you wanted to do is going to cost you time. It's going to cost you effort. Sometimes it costs money, but um, in the university, uh, you know, there's a win-win situation. You've got the university benefiting from the knowledge of Indigenous peoples coming in and, and participating as students, but also the knowledge of Indigenous faculty members and elders that are connected um, and, and doing it in a way that even though we're connected to Whitley College, majority of the students and faculty are not badged Baptist. I mean, many of us don't, we don't have an issue with what badge you wear. In fact, some of us have got several badges that we're connected to, you know, by badges I mean denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we we realise that each denomination has their own rules about how you can be members of the community. So you go do the rituals and things that you need to do in order to be part of that community. Um, So it starts with small conversations and with allies. Um, And and we need non-Indigenous allies Mm. to be reminding colleges and institutions, hey, we're going to be doing this stuff. Hey, there's people out there that we can work with and be... Let's, you know, let's not get sidetracked by thinking it's going to cost a lot of money and it's going to cost this. Let's, let's actually look at the positives and how, how it could transform our institution and, and make the work that we do um, more encompassing of the kingdom. Um, we're coming to our time of final comments. Uh, so basically we'll... Each panellist is invited to offer a final thought, final comment. Naomi, you can go last as our guest yep. today. Um, and and um, I'll, lead it, I'll lead us Yay. off. Yep. One second, Chuck. Um, I think, okay, Emma's going to go first. Uh-oh. Over to you, Emma. I thought Liam was going to have a longer spiel, so I'd have longer to think. I'm back. I'm back. I can go. I can go. Sorry. Back. Um, so, I... I mean, I've just been so thankful for, for what you've shared with us today. And I do think, you know, that, that bit at the start of just, and, and Emma picked up on this as well, the, the acknowledging, you know, the fullness of where our theology comes from and how it is developed um, with the people around us, with the where, with the, the who and, the, and, you know, and even as you're someone, you know, like myself who's now in PhD work with theology, not, you know, allowing that to be more expansive than, then like you know, may get pulled toward, but it has to be a certain like you know, you know, because you know, I mean, your PhD you have to you know, certain practices have yep. to be upheld. But how do you not let that then become you know this hierarchical defining thing and allowing this to be thinking about the way one second theology is formed around family <laughs> tables and in um, yeah, all the much broader ways and, and and allowing that to then open to go and where else could it be and how can mm. I remain open to that and thinking about that too? So yeah. That's, that's a thought for me. Thanks. Absolutely. And I always remind people that, um, you know, it's a PhD is supposed to be the contribution of new knowledge. So perhaps some of that contribution of new knowledge is actually changing how the PhD might look. Mm. So feel free to mm. remember that one. Thank you. <laughs> now we might go to Emma. I think I've had a moment to, to collect a few of my thoughts. All good, sister, if you haven't, it's fine. No, I, I think, yeah, it's reflecting on the process of teaching um, at a university as well as someone who's a, a PhD student, um, even though it's it's not in, in theology. I think, yeah, there's definitely something to be said about the, the framing and the way that we um, yeah, pr- present all of this information to build certain expectations that people have about what they are going to see and what you know are the markers of good theology or the markers are of correct theology um and the assumption as i think we've touched on already is the the normalized aspects of theology being very western and how um all of the other these are all the extra bits all the electives and how yeah like the the slow process i think that we might have ahead of us of changing those expectations um, in students by getting in at that ground level 
and starting to think, okay, so these, instead of the expectations that you as a student have, and when you see that a course might not be covering a particular thing or, um, you know, has dealt with something a bit kind of, uh, you know, not so great that there's, yeah, we're empowering those students to, to really be critical learners and allowing, um, yeah, like really being like, well, if we're operating from an assumption of not Western quote unquote theology and allowing people to then uh, develop. Um, yeah. Okay. That's, I did have a better way to connect through to <laughs> some it's of the very, things that we've been talking about today. My brain is not as it did very, it did very well. But, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, there's definitely something in there around um, the, the value that um, these, these new, no, okay, I'm going to try and stop. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> the words are not happening today. Maybe this is what I'll, I'll, I'll say in the end, that it's really important to understand when you need to zip and listen and allow these really important ideas to become part of the bedrock of the way you view the world rather than trying to jump in and say things before they're fully formed. That's what I'll leave us with today. All good, Emma. All good. Yeah, all good, Emma. Love <laughs> Thanks, Naomi. Um, I think for me, um, it's the bridges and canoes are possible, and contributing something small from my side would be looking at changing the way that we speak of God and um, reminding people that it's not something new. Um, so if we start weaving some of that language into our sermons and our prayers, I think that's a place to start in the church. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing yourself into that. Yeah. In, in all that you are created. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. Yeah, and um, just Catalina's um, comments about making it visible and strong, um, I think that's something really powerful as well. Like, you know, not a tokenistic, tokenistic approach, but making those uh, that decolonising something strong in the way that we approach the church. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Um, I suppose I could say something now. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I was I was so glad that when you talked about um, allies, you know, because that's uh, you know when Anne Battelle Gray was on the webinar a couple of months ago, I think it was, and she was the one who was making it clear to us that we should talk about this issue, <laughs> um, yes. you know, and challenging theological institutions, yep. you know, on this issue. Um, one of the things that she said was, would be very important is allies for, you know, Indigenous and First People, First Nation people um, to, you know, work together to establish, you know, some of these things. It, and so that's one thing. But the other additional thing I was thinking about is, um, you know, we can't, how important it is in the decolonizing process, um, you know, for the dominant culture to recognize the history, um, you know, of how the Bible and theology have been used as instruments of oppression, um, you know, and silencing uh, and, you know, displacing indigenous peoples, um, even, you know, genocide and, all those horrible things. Um, so I'm just saying that, you know, uh, part of the decolonizing process is the recognition by the dominant culture that that has been a real part of history, you know, and, um, and, and then the whole question is still at play, you know, is it possible to use the Bible and theology as an instrument of, instrument of decolonization, you know? That is still a, a, a question for many Indigenous people, you know? So, yeah, yeah those are the things that I just want to say. Thank you, Naomi. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, I, 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 I think the Bible can be a very useful tool in decolonising theology. Absolutely. 
And I think it's a useful tool in that process to reinvigorate the knowledge of the historical and contextual environment of the Bible, um, which I think gets forgotten. I think one of the, the hein, one of the terrible things about colonial Christianity is that it, it tries to kind of steamroll over everybody and everything. And we have this cultural amnesia around the Bible, around our own, perhaps our own cultural Christianity. You know, are we Anglo-Saxon Christians? Are we Indigenous Christians? What are we? Um, where did our idea of Christianity come from? And does it work for us? Does it actually affirm us in all that we are? Does it actually give us a living, breathing relationship with Jesus uh, with each other mm. um, and, and I think the 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 work of people like Annie Ann Patel Gray mm. you know who, who has often been a voice in the wilderness sometimes mm-hmm. yep. challenging the church you know if you haven't read her her book The Great White Flood please do it's incredible it's a challenging book but it's incredibly powerful and you know uh, people like myself were indebted to people like Annie Ann and others who, who you know, had to, had to battle the, the the right to exist mm-hmm. as Indigenous peoples, let alone battling the church. So I think you know, um, I think allies are really important, and you know, often people will will think that. You know, Indigenous theologies means that we throw out everything Western. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting perhaps we look at theology like a bench. And at the moment, you know, the bench is kind of covered by Western theology. Western theology is kind of spread out and sprawled out and there's no room for anybody else. What we're saying is, you know, move up a little bit so all of these other theologies can sit on this big bench together and we can look at the world and say, well, how do we see that? Oh, is that right? Well, we see it this way. But it, it's not in the sense of, you know, uh, you know, throwing out one in order to have dominance by another. That's, that's certainly not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that the creator has made us in his image as Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. And through that, we see the world differently and we interpret that journey differently. And if we learn to share that journey rather than have perhaps uh, an Olympics of my theology is better than your theology, no, my theology is better than your theology. All of that, I think, is stuff that prevents us from living who we're meant to be. So the challenges are real. and they're ongoing, but the opportunities are so many and, and so varied. And I think we just need to be a little brave and reach out and say, how can I do this? Uh, because it can happen. Mm. And it must happen. Mm-hmm.